In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have driven success for them in their careers? And then we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, today's episode, we are sitting down with a guest who is from outside of the sports and entertainment industry. His name is Dan Gingis. Now, we wanted to have Dan on the show because he's just dropped a brand new book literally today, September 14th. Uh, the book is called Experience Maker. And if you don't know Dan, Dan is one of the world's leading experts and keynote speakers uh, and inspirational leaders, thought leaders in the customer experience space. And what we like about Dan so much is that his background comes from not just thought experimentation and research. It really comes from, similar to us at Engagement, a deep background in working in customer experience at some of the world's leading brands like Discover, McDonald's, Humana. So he's got tons of real life, actionable, practical examples that you can use on a regular basis in both the B2C world and the B2B world. So obviously, as a lot of our listeners are coming from the sports and entertainment background uh, and industry, there's going to be a lot of real life, practical things that you're going to hear from Dan that are going to be from outside the industry, but we're going to connect the dots for you here in this episode to make it so that you can create deeper, more engaging experiences and moments for your fans uh, as you go out and, and try to really ultimately ge generate revenue and create deep emotional connections with the people that you serve. So um, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Dan, uh, trying to make these introductions a little bit shorter. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am super pumped to talk to you guys. All right, well, let's get into it. You've got a brand new book coming out. I don't know exactly when we're going to release this episode, but it's going to line up pretty close with that September 14th date. Um, so talk to us about the new book that you've been working on. Sure. Well, I even brought a prop. Uh, it is called The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences That Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. And it is really a summary of my 20 plus years in corporate America, plus the work that I've done with clients as an independent coach and uh, and speaker and customer experience. And it's a whole bunch of stories put together into a framework that teaches companies how to create the sorts of experiences that their customers want to talk about. And at the end of the day, what I learned as a marketer for 20 years is the very best kind of marketing is when other people do it for you, right? And so marketers forever have felt that the holy grail is word of mouth marketing. The question is how to get there. And my view is it's not about creating a viral video. If we could do that, we would all do that, right? If we knew what went viral, then we would do it immediately. It's about creating consistently remarkable experiences for your customers and turning them into fans who want to talk about you. And, uh, and when they do, a remarkable thing happens. You've got all this positivity out there about your brand. They become better referral sources. They become better. They help your sales team out. Um, and your customers end up being your very best marketing. 
Yeah, I think it goes back to this kind of work smarter, not harder kind of thing where if you can invest in something that's going to give you exponential returns, why would you not be doing that every single time? And so I think if you're gearing up your marketing to say, hey, how do we add value for customers? They're going to go out and share that with your friends. They're going to completely expand your marketing efforts and, and investment. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book. You've got a great framework that's easy to remember inside the book, uh, The Experience Maker, Wise, Becoming Wise. Talk to us about that framework uh, and, and what the letters stand for. Maybe we go letter by letter uh, and kind of suss it out. Sure. Well, the WISE framework, which is meant to make you wise to customer experience, stands for witty, immersive, shareable, and extraordinary. And these are four facets that I've identified in the experiences that are most likely to get shared by people. And when we talk about sharing, that could be on social media. It can also be with friends and family or at an event, at a conference, with colleagues at work. There's all sorts of ways that we can share uh, with people. And the entire book is based on some research that showed that consumers are actually more willing to share positive experiences than negative ones. It's weird because what we hear about, especially in social media, are negative experiences much more often. The reason for that is that consumers, by and large, have very ordinary experiences with brands. They're just average. They're not great. They're not terrible. And what they certainly are is they're not worth talking about. And so the wise methodology is meant to help you take your ordinary experiences and move them up a notch so that you get to this point where people want to talk. Because ultimately, if you're doing it and your competitors aren't, it's a, such an easy way to stand out. I really believe that customer experience is that ultimate differentiator. So happy yeah. to walk through them with you if let's, you'd like uh, one by one. Yeah, let, let's do it. I mean, but I think to expand on your point, right, this is something, you know, we were down at, at Texas A&M University last weekend and training their staff to get ready for for football game day. And and that was one of the things we talked about is that this this concept of satisfaction being dangerous, right? And that, you know, you go to a, 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 rest, a five-star steakhouse and it's a bad experience, you're going to tell everybody, right? If it's a great experience, you're going to tell everybody. If it just kind of meets your expectations, you may or may not come back. Who knows? And so I think your point exactly kind of encapsulates everything with customer experience in that it's all about exceeding expectations. You can't just meet them. Um, so let's talk. Let's go one by one. Let's, let's start with W. When we think about becoming wise, what does that mean? So W is about being witty and witty does not mean being hysterical. Well, it doesn't mean becoming a stand-up comedian. There's certain brands that have sort of earned that reputation. I'm thinking Wendy's, Taco Bell, maybe Charmin. We all think of when we think of hilarious brands. Chances are the folks that are listening to your podcast are not those brands, right? And so most brands are not those brands. And so Witty instead is about being clever. It's about using language to our advantage. And it's about refusing to be boring. And my belief is no matter what industry you're in, you don't have to be boring. You might be boring, but you don't have to be. And, uh, and so we see, especially you know, in the sports area, in the sports arena, we see lots of, you look at the Twitter handles of a lot of sports teams now, and they've really started, they've gone way beyond reporting the news and reporting the scores, and they've become a lot more fun and engaging and, and showing of personality. And that is what audiences and customers are looking for. They want to have a relationship with the brands where they spend money, whether that's a sports team or a retailer or a restaurant or a hotel. They want to feel like there's a relationship and that's and relationships are two way, right? which means I'm loyal to you. You're loyal to me. 
everybody's happy. So being witty is really about looking at all of the ways you communicate with customers and just trying to make them more interesting, more fun, and more memorable. And whether that is a, an email or a welcome letter or even legal disclaimer or invoices, there's always a chance to make something more interesting. And I, again, I share tons of examples of this. Um, I'm a huge fan of signs and signage around physical locations. Every time somebody posts up a sign, there's an opportunity to make someone smile, to make someone stop and take a picture. You know, the exit sign doesn't just have to say exit. It can say, um, uh, you know, something that gets people's attention. There's a, a picture of a door in my book that says, there's nothing to see here. Right. Yep. <laughs> Which means do not enter, <laughs> but is so much more clever than do not enter and is more memorable than that. So that's what Witty's about. And it's a, it's one that any company can grasp as long as you just take the time to have a little bit more fun um, and just be be human and be personal. I think it's interesting with sports teams because, uh, you know, we work with some traditional clients, if you will. Uh, and, and sometimes I think it's a challenge for them to get out of this scope of, well, maybe we've got an older fan base and they don't want to hear that witty, that cleverness. They just want the facts. They just want it straight. And to me, I, as a, as a millennial, I'm like, that is just blatantly not true. I don't believe. Um, but, and I've heard you talk about this as well and that the influence that Gen Z and millennials have had on some of the older generations as well, that is kind of breaking this stereotype. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Totally true. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer and uh, and I have a lot of millennial friends, um, but there's no question that millennials and then Gen Z's have really pushed this relationship with the brand thing in a way that my generation and earlier didn't. But mostly that's because of I, I blame all of this conversation about customer experience on social media, because if you think about it, even when I was a kid, the only way you could communicate with a company would be like write them a letter. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't where would you what else would you do? Right. I mean, you don't call customer service to say, hey, I love you. You're, you're my favorite brand. Nobody does that. So when I was a kid, I would write letters to brands and they'd send me back coupons and stickers. And, you know, if I got a letter back from them, I felt like, a, you know, a, 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 the big man on campus, that sort of thing. But there just wasn't a mechanism to engage with brands. Then social came along. And, and as I like to say, it's the first and only marketing channel where people can talk back to you. And think about it. Of all the marketing channels we've ever had in history, social media was the first one where people could talk back. And they did. They talked back and they, first of all, demanded a better customer experience. And second of all, they said, we want to have a relationship with, this, with these brands, right? So when we, when we say something, we want you to respond to us. Um, and now... That I mean, I think that's been great for brands because it's allowed companies to get way closer to their customers than they ever were to understand that each customer is different. It's not fair, David, just to call you a millennial. There's millions of those. Right. 100%. I mean, and so to say that I always like to joke, you know, if, if somebody was trying to segment me into a mid 40s bald white guy. OK, great. Except that doesn't tell you. There's millions of those too, right? And we're all very different people who like different things. And so it's really about getting to know your customer on a much more individual level than that. And uh, and that's hard, but social media's made it a whole lot easier. Digital's made it a whole lot easier. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think 
something I would I'd be curious to hear you talk about, right? I'm, I'm thinking about objections. I'm, so I'm putting myself in the shoes of some of the people that we work with and thinking about objections, right? And, and I think sometimes too, we, we, we get into this mode of having a strict content calendar of this is going to get released on this date. This is going to get released on this date. But I, I, I heard you talk about Skittles before and, and one of the interactions that they had with you on social media. And, and that was a prime example. of I've got the that line was not, Skittles right here. You have them right there. Hilarious. All right. You, yeah. got, you got to tell that story because I think that if, if more sports teams engage in that type of behavior, I think it would help to foster some of these deeper relationships. Yeah, and I do think sports teams do. I'm a I'm a big Chicago Cubs fan. I used to know the person who ran social at at the Cubs, and they do this very very well. They they do talk to their fans and they have conversations with them. So with Skittles, uh, I you know I don't I don't hate on brands. First of all, my my personal brand is all about positive customer experience. So I highlight great experiences. I do not hate on brands. Leave that to other people. Now with Skittles, I've been having some fun with them over the last few years because a few years ago they changed out their lime Skittles, which is the green flavor, and they replaced it with green apple, which is perhaps my least favorite artificial flavor on earth. I don't know why green apple has to exist. I don't like it. And so, uh, and because of that, I probably don't buy as much Skittles as I used to. And when I do, I literally pick out all the greens and throw them away unless somebody's with me who likes them. So every once in a while, I've been tweeting at them saying like, okay, when's the, when's the green apple experiment gonna, uh, gonna end and go back to lime? And when are we gonna get lime back, whatever? And uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I sent them a tweet on a Monday and they wrote back immediately and they said, how about Wednesday? And I was like, what? And on Wednesday, they came out with a promo video that was announcing that they were coming out with an all lime package of Skittles, which is what I just showed you. Um, And I was like, I knew they weren't just talking to me, right? Because I'm in the space. So I get it. But boy, did it feel like they just released lime Skittles because Dan Gingas asked them to. right? I mean, and that's the feeling you want to create. Because of course I went and shared that across all my social channels and and gave them all that sort of free publicity for that. And that's what we're looking for. We're just looking for people to talk about us. Because even with a sports team, right, it sounds so much better when our fans talk about us than when we talk about us, right? It doesn't, it, 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 I could tell you I'm a great keynote speaker, but it's going to be a whole lot better if somebody who's been in my audience or someone who's been a client of mine tells you that I'm a great keynote speaker. It just sounds better. And so that's true with every brand, including sports teams. Um, And I think having that ability to um, just engage with your fans and communicate with them and show them that, like, you know, just like in any other business, without fans, these sports teams don't exist. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't exist because fans are the people that are paying the money to to pay the players and and whatever. And so just like with any other business without customers, we don't have a business. And so the, the really interesting thing, and I think what I try to pull out in the book here is as marketers, especially if we spent half as much time on our existing customers, the ones that are already paying us and already giving us loyalty, as we do trying to constantly bring in new people, we would be creating such great experiences for our existing customers that they'd do the rest of it for us. They would bring in those new people. But we instead put all of our focus, it's always about growing, 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 growing. And there's this concept in the book I talk about called the leaky bucket, which is essentially that you're, that so many of your customers are, are walking out and going somewhere else when they don't like the experience because you haven't paid attention to them. And that, of course, makes it harder because you got to bring in more and more people to fill the people that, that just left. Right. 
Now, obviously, with sports, it's a little bit different. One fan, always a fan. Heck, as a Cubs fan, I can certainly speak to loyalty all day long, um, 108 years before our World Series win. So uh, that is a little bit different. But I think similarly, you can see, you definitely can see teams um, turn fans into public advocates and also have fans be detractors. Yeah. And, and there's definitely the leaky bucket concept in sports and entertainment as well. The difference might not be that they're, you're, you're never going to be a, if you're a Cubs fan, you're never going to be a White Sox fan. That's what it is. Um, but you might not renew your season tickets. You might not come to the game. You might come to one less game than you came to the year before. Um, you might not buy that Jersey. You, you might just say, you know what, I'm going to buy the, the hoodie of my, you know, of, of whatever the local coffee shop instead. And I'm going to spend the money yeah. on that uh, as opposed yeah. to the team, because they've created a, that local coffee shop has created a relationship with me. Whereas the Cubs, I'm just another number and not treated well. Um, so I think that that leaky bucket concept, it just looks a little bit different in sports and entertainment, but it definitely still exists. Yeah. And it's, what's really cool too, is, you know, if you shift over to the entertainment industry, although I think sports as well, this whole concept of fans, right, is generally thought of as a sports and entertainment concept, but it really works in a business concept as well. We don't think of, of fans of Starbucks necessarily. We think of them as customers or as whatever. Um, but that, but the feeling that you have when you are a fan of a team or a fan of, of, uh, an artist, uh, for example, that loyalty that comes with that feeling. And then you want to share that, right? You go to a great concert, for example, and you want to tell everybody about it. You go to a concert that totally misses your expectations. You're probably not posting about that on your social channels. Right. Yeah. I, I, you're hundred percent right that this concept of fan applies across the board to any other organization. I think about Starbucks specifically, right? Doesn't make sense that I would pay for that overpriced decorative coffee mug with the city on it, right? Or that I would go collect those, but I'm a fan of that. It doesn't make sense yeah. that I would pay, you know, $3 for a black coffee from Starbucks when I can just brew that at home. But I know that they're going to be consistent. I know exactly what I'm going to get. Uh, I know it's going to be quick. I know that they may or may not get my name right on the cup. Uh, but I know the experience that I'm going to get. And, and it's about consistency oftentimes in that in that specific example. So you can create fans in a whole bunch of different ways, no matter what your business is. And ultimately I think of fandom as suspending rational behavior because of emotional desires. Right. And you can do that in any industry. Um, uh, that's totally right. That's a great definition too. And I think why Starbucks is a, is a brand that so many people look to is because of how customer centric they are and because of how everything is designed around the experience. There's a great story in one of Howard Schultz's books where he talks about early on, early days in Starbucks, they were trying to have that European vibe that, that kind of Starbucks originated from. And I guess in Italy, they, it's frowned upon to have skim milk in your uh, coffee. You know, it's, you're supposed to have the rich cream and all that. And so he's sitting in one of his, early stores and he watches a woman come in. She had just been to the gym. She's in workout gear. She orders a coffee with skim milk and is told, I'm sorry, we don't serve skim milk here. And she turns around and walks out. And allegedly the next day he put out a memo saying, we now serve skim milk in every store because he saw all he had to do was see a customer walk away to realize that just standing on his laurels and wanting to be like the Europeans or whatever it was that he was trying to do was not worth it. And instead it was about listening to your customers and delivering that back to them. And I think, you know, that company does that so well. 
They, they, they really do. And I, I tweeted about this yesterday, actually, because we, we rolled out a, a tech product over the pandemic around kind of digital training and tied to venue operations. And anyway, uh, I, I tweeted something out because we had a call with a client and we've been pushing this one feature really hard that we love. And we were talking to a couple of different clients and they were just like, yeah, we don't really care about that feature. We actually bought it because of this feature that is like an afterthought for us. And so I tweeted out, I'm like, look, it doesn't matter how much you care about the feature or the benefit that you're offering. If your customer, what really matters is what your customer, the benefit and the feature that your customers care about. And you got to craft it around that. And I, that's what I think of when I think of the Howard Schultz story. Absolutely. That's totally, totally right. And the reverse is true as well. You guys might think that you have the best mobile app in the world and your programmers and your coders all say, we got it. We got the best app. If your customers are telling you it's hard to use, it's hard to use. I mean, end of the day, like their, their opinion matters more. And, uh, and so perception is reality in that sense. And it's often difficult for organizations to get out of their own way because they're so wrapped up in the, um, you know, they know every in and out of that mobile app because they've been working on it nonstop for six months. So to them, it's perfect. To the customer seeing it for the first time, they're coming at it from a completely different point of view. And the reality is that's the end user. And so you've got to pay attention to what it is that they're saying. I'm a believer in experience that not only are we trying to create positive experiences, but we've got to get rid of the negative ones. Every time we have a barrier, a pain point, every time we annoy a customer, we put them on hold for too long, whatever it is that we do, getting rid of that stuff is so critical because switching costs other than switching team allegiances switching costs are so low right if you don't if you stop liking starbucks because they're annoying you it's not like you can't find another coffee shop right you'll right. find one pretty quickly so switching costs are, are low for consumers so we have to make sure that their experience is smooth and consistent throughout Okay. Random question. We are so far off of the wise framework right now. We're just bouncing all over, but that always tends to happen on this show. Um, but I have to ask this cause I'm thinking about it as you work with your clients. Do you start by saying, let's go find a, an, an experience that we can make incredible. Or do you start by saying, let's solve the really big hassles. Wh which route do you start? That's a really good question. Um, I think it depends on probably where they are in terms of their customer experience maturity. Um, by and large, I would say that I would actually start by fixing the problems um, because that helps to plug the leaky bucket, right? Yep. And, and so if you can plug the leaky bucket, then at least that stopped. And now it's about, well, how do we create, how do we get advocates out of our customer base. We've stopped them from leaving. That's like the minimum amount yeah. necessary. Um, and now how do we get them to grow, spend more, refer their friends, et cetera. Um, and, and even when you get to that part, I do want to remind people that customer experience does not have to be this giant uh, transformational multi-year million dollar project. Customer experience can be a series of a lot of little things. And that is really what you'll find in my book. You'll find 50 plus stories of, of organizations, some in the sporting and entertainment world, that, that make little changes that add up. And in fact, the stories that I tell have to go through three filters. And this is because I spent time in corporate America and I know how things can get done or not get done. They have to be simple, practical, and inexpensive. So I am not going to suggest things that I know are going to cost you millions of dollars because you're going to say, great idea, Dan, I don't have millions of dollars, right? Yep. And so 
simple, practical, and inexpensive. Uh, but short answer is I'd get rid of the pain points first and then start uh, slowly creating a little points in your customer journey that are um, that stand out to people. I love it. All right. We we got to get back to this wise framework and then we'll go off tangent again. All right. So let that's witty uh, and, and everything else. Uh, let's talk about the I in the wise framework that you talk about in your book. What is you I know, it's funny. I, I stands for immersive and for corporations, this is the hardest one, but for sports and entertainment, it's probably the easiest one because you by definition already have a fairly immersive experience. I'm thinking about going to a ball game or going to a concert. I'm getting there's sights, there's smells. I am, you know, there, I hear stuff. I feel stuff. It, it's kind of already there. And so immersive is really about creating, um, a, a, an experience that people feel in their bones, that they have some emotional reaction to. If we can touch on people's emotions in a positive way, they are much more likely going to like us, stay with us, and talk about us. It's also, though, and I do think this is where sports and entertainment can you know, particularly pay attention, it's also remaining consistent throughout the customer journey. So, for example, I might have an amazing time at that concert but man was buying tickets a pain in the neck, right? And so there's a good part of the experience and a part that I'd really like fixed, okay? Immersive is about the whole thing feels like it's one continuous experience that's consistent and that feels good. And that is very, very hard to achieve, especially when uh, you you may not own the ticketing process. That might be run by somebody else. You might be outsourcing that, right? And that, it becomes a very difficult challenge. I love talking about this concept, and this happens in sports all the time. You can't control everything, right? You can control how the st- if the stadium's clean. You can control how the food is and if the bathrooms are working and all that. What you can't control is the weather, and you can't control whether the team plays well that day or not. And unfortunately, and this is one of the biggest challenges for sports teams, is that when I go to a Cubs game, what am I going to remember most? <laughs> I remember that it rained and that the Cubs played terribly, right? No matter what, anything else happens. But you do what you can with this that you can control. I think another piece to add on to that, I, I, I don't want to discourage people to say, well, we can't control that, so we're just going to completely give up on it, right? I, I think if there, there are different levels as we work with different sports and entertainment venues where they have different levels of control of the experience. So some might just be a tenant in their building renting. Some might own and operate the building. Some might be on a bigger campus where there's a lot of things outside of their control. Having worked at Disney for a long time, right, it was we always took the mentality of we might not own it, but can we influence it? Right. And yeah. so you even you even think about like kind of the, the airport experience at Disney, right, where you get the magical express where they'll pick up your luggage and take it to your room because we know that waiting for luggage is a hassle. Disney can't change the speed at which luggage comes out from the from the airplanes. But they can influence it by saying, let's figure out a different process to mitigate that hassle and we'll work around it. We don't own that process, but we can influence how the customer feels at that touch point. Uh, totally true. Another way of saying it is it's it's not Disney's fault, but it might be Disney's problem For or, sure. or opportunity. Right. Yep. And so and, and often that's the case. You know, I've been thinking recently about uh, ticketing uh, because I'm in the middle of writing a blog about um unnecessary fees in customer Mm. experience. And and I've been thinking about ticketing and you know how over time, when you buy an airline ticket right now, you basically just get a price and and it's an all-inclusive price. Like it's, taxes are included, every, you know, they tell you it's gonna be uh, uh, $200, it turns out to be $200. 
I don't understand why uh, uh, sports and entertainment tickets can't go the same way and instead have to have, well, the ticket price is $50 and then here's 17 fees we're going to add. So really, you're going to pay $109.50. And it's like, wait a second. Um, and it, it just, I get it psychologically. They want to be able to say we have $50 tickets, but they're not $50 tickets. And the reality is, is customers are not stupid. They understand, like they get it. Um, and so those are the kinds of things where if I were a sports team or a, or a concert venue or something like that, I'd say, look, can we do this differently? Is there a way to do this differently? And like you say, have some impact on it, knowing that that's a pain point of the people. And, and what stinks is you don't want people walking into your venue already frustrated. Right. It's like you want them walking in excited and happy and what have you. And so those are some examples of where, you know, I think one industry could learn from another to say, Maybe we don't. Maybe we just have an all-inclusive price. And yeah, ticket prices are going to go up, but it's not like, I mean, they're going to be the same price people are paying now. <laughs> they're just going to be displayed differently. But I think people would feel so much better about it. You told me it was $109 for a ticket. I, okay, I get it. That's a whole lot better than a, a lower price ticket that ends up $109 because I've, I've had an extra 40% tacked on for fees. We're, we're close with a lot of the, the big ticketing companies and you, you start to see okay, when you talk to them about the churn rate of what happens on a page that ha shows all the extra fees versus just one price or it's the same price that, you know, they clicked on it. They saw the final fee when they clicked on it. The churn rate is so much lower when it's one price. Um, but so it's just to support your support. Totally makes sense. Totally. It absolutely makes sense. But um, but yes, being aware of your environment and your ecosystem um, and and being able to affect, as you said, impact some of the things that go on around it without necessarily owning it, I think is really critical. Well, let, let's talk about. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, let's go to shareable. Uh, let, let's go to the, to S in, in wise. I just stole your thunder. But let, let's talk about uh, the S in the wise framework. Sure. So shareable is interesting because it's the it's kind of the journey and the destination. I mean, ultimately, what we want is for people to share, but people don't share by accident. Um, people there. There has to be an experience that is worth sharing. Uh, let me give you a great example of shareable. Uh, my son wanted to go to a nice uh, steak restaurant for his uh, 13th birthday. And so we took him to Fleming Steakhouse. Nice. And I told him ahead of time that it was my son's birthday. Now, when we walked in the restaurant, the maitre d' who was standing behind the counter reached under the counter and pulled out a birthday card and handed it to my son. Wow. Like we were all stunned. Right now we sit down at the table. We're having a great meal. And we actually started talking about this after all, you know, when you're when you're the son of a customer experience guy, I guess this is the type of conversation <laughs> that comes up. And we said, I wonder what they're going to do at dessert, because most places bring out a slice of cake and a candle, which is very nice. But it, let's let's be honest, it's not remarkable because it's not because everybody does it. And we're thinking, well, if these guys gave him a card, there's no way they're coming out with just a slice of cake and a, and a candle. Sure enough, they did not disappoint. They came out with a box of four handmade chocolates that they had made in their own kitchen. It was sitting on a plate that spelled out happy birthday in cocoa powder. And it had not a candle, but a sparkler, which, of course, is way, way cooler than a candle. And obviously, without anybody asking anything... Everyone at the table pulled out their camera, took a picture, and you know the adult shared it on Facebook and shared it on, on Instagram and Snapchat. But nobody had to tell us to share that. 
right? It just was an obviously shareable moment. And it was because they decided they weren't going to do the cake and candle like everybody else. And it's there's nothing wrong with a cake and candle. It's a very nice gesture. It's just completely expected. And so um, when we want to make a shareable experience, we have to be unexpected. And we also, we have to, it's got to be intentional. So you can't just hope that people share parts of your experience. You've got to create a part of your experience that is intentionally shareable. Now, sometimes we give people a nudge. We throw a hashtag on there or something like that. I have a story uh, when I worked at Discover Card where just a simple hashtag uh, ended up leading to thousands and thousands of shares. What we don't want to do is tell people, well, follow us on Instagram and take a picture of yourself doing this and then share it using this hashtag and then tag us and then do that. And people are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Or as a friend of mine likes to say, if you have to tell someone it's a selfie spot, it probably isn't a selfie spot because (laughs) by definition, selfies are spontaneous, right? So so making them unspontaneous is not a good idea. Uh, So that's really what shareable is about. And there's lots of techniques in the book about um, just how to go about doing it and, and how to think about the best advice and, and, and this is true for any kind of organization, is you want to think about every single part of your customer journey, whether it's offline or online, because there's no such thing as offline anymore. We can take a picture or a video of anything and bring it online. But look at your entire journey and ask yourself two questions. One, am I okay with this being shared on social media, right? Do you think those ticket companies want us to take a screenshot of my $58 ticket that turned out to be $109 and share that out? Probably not. So that's a great indicator that maybe it's not a very positive experience. But the second piece is how do I make this experience so that people want to share it? And that's really the point where you're getting to shareable is like, okay, right now this experience isn't annoying. It isn't pain. It isn't full of pain points, but it's meh and people don't share meh. They, got it. they want to share better than Matt. And so how do we elevate the experience to get to a point where it isn't just cake and candle, it's handmade chocolates and sparkler. And that's the difference. It, there's so many ways uh, that we could go from here. Uh, I mean, one of the things that stands out to me is this balance between and this, this misinterpretation of what consistency is. Right. I I think a lot of organizations have heard, oh, we need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. And when I'm having conversations with different clients or potential clients, that's part of what they say is, well, we don't want to do that because that that's a change that our customers don't want. Right. Our customers want the same thing year over year. And it's like that's not what that's not what we as customer experience experts. That's not what we mean by consistency. What we mean is a certain level of standard that you can expect, right? A a quality, a consistency of quality, not a consistency of experience. And you got to throw in those little moments that make you say, hmm, wasn't expecting that. Like the example you use with your son. And so maybe talk about how you've seen that come to fruition, because I see that all the time of this misinterpretation of consistency and how doing little things that are inconsistent, that change the experience are really what allow people to take pictures and make it shareable. Yeah. I mean, it's about expectations and the reality is customer expectations are constantly changing, usually going up, which means that you can't be completely consistent because you've got to continue to to rise with those expectations. But you're right. It's about a consistency of quality. It's about knowing that this company is always going to care about me, even if they're delivering that in some different way, right? It's about, um, you know, and we learned that and we learned that big time in COVID because customers really found out, especially early on, 
which companies were there for them when the chips were down versus which companies were just phoning it in. Right. It was pretty easy to tell. All you had to do is start to look at those early emails that came out where you got them, where, you know, everybody was telling you about their enhanced cleaning procedures. Delete, 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 delete. Charles Schwab sent me an email saying, hey, we know you must be nervous about a volatile stock market. Here's a bunch of tools that we have to help you get through that volatility. Ding, 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 ding. That's exactly what I want from Charles Schwab. Right. I don't care about their cleaning procedures. No offense, Charles. But I want that's exactly what I wanted from them at exactly the right moment. And I felt like, man, they know me. They knew I was worried about a volatile stock market. I sure as heck was. And so that's the so my expectation is Charles Schwab knows me. That's the consistency is that they're going to always know me. How they deliver that may be different. If you are being very consistent, let's say, for example, that you always send your customers, we'll go back to a box of chocolates every every winter, you know, every um, holiday season. Now, it may be that your customers spend all year looking forward to that box of chocolates and they know it's coming and they're expecting it and they love it when it comes. And it may be that they get it and they're like, another box of chocolates? Like, are you kidding me? Couldn't they be more creative? How do you find out which it is? Ask. Talk to your customers and they will tell you. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, talk to your fans if you are a sports team or you're in the entertainment business and they will tell you, right? We don't do enough listening to our own customers. They're going to tell you what it is that they want. And it's not that you have to do everything your customer says, but you're going to get amazing ideas in terms of growth. You're also going to figure out what's annoying them and you're going to figure out how to eliminate those pain points. And more times than not, eliminating pain points is not difficult. It's just about being aware that they're pain points in the first place. Right. right. Yeah. I, we, we started a, a consumer insights division almost with, within one of our clients to do this very thing is to say, hey, instead of just listening to the loudest customers, let's listen to a whole big diverse group of them so we can find out where those pain points are. So exactly to your point. Well, let's talk about E. Oh, go ahead. Sure. Well, I was just going to give you one, one more example of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Not about a pain point. Um, another great brand, um, Otterbox, and I have one of their cases here. Um, Otterbox, through social listening, was learning that a lot of customers were going into the shower with their phones to listen to music. And this was not a use case that they had previously considered. They just it's not something that they had thought about, but they heard and saw and listened. And they and, and it wasn't necessarily people mentioning Otterbox. It was just that they were listening in social and they noticed this as a trend. They went back to their R&D department and they created their first waterproof case, which turned out to be one of their best sellers. So all they were doing was listening. And by listening, we get such great feedback. We're going to learn what we're doing well, and then you should do more of that. And we're going to learn what we're not doing well, and you should try to fix it. I do the same thing when I do keynotes. I ask people in the audience, which stories that I tell that really resonated with you? I'm going to make sure I keep those in the keynote. And were there any that maybe didn't? And people have been honest with me. And guess what? Those aren't in my keynote anymore. Um, and, it's, yep. and, and the challenge for me is I love them all. I mean, that's why I picked them, right? But maybe they don't. Maybe some of them don't land as well with other people. And if I don't know that, I can't get better as a speaker. So it's you, you got to be willing to take that bad with the good and don't get your feelings hurt. Just appreciate the fact that someone's willing to give you honest feedback. Preach. Uh, well, let, let's talk about let, let's talk about E, the last letter in your Wise framework. What does it stand for? And give us some examples. Yes, extraordinary. And don't worry, extraordinary is not going to cost you a lot of money. It's simply about being better than ordinary. And as I said early on, the vast majority of experiences that we have are what 
you millennials, my millennial friends call meh, right? They're ordinary, average, so-so, pick your word. They're just not worthy of talking about. And so being extraordinary is about figuring out how to take an otherwise unremarkable experience and make it remarkable. One of my favorite examples of extraordinary is I was staying at a hotel and for those of us that travel a lot, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and first of all, hotels always seem to be darker than at home. I don't know why. You don't remember what hotel you're in. Sometimes you don't remember what city you're in. You got to go to the bathroom. So I put my feet on the floor and like magic, a motion activated light turned on and lit the pathway to the bathroom. And I was like, holy moly, was that cool, right? Like I didn't expect that at all. Um, Average experience is I'm fumbling around in the dark, banging into the bed, you know, trying to find the bathroom or that's ordinary. Extraordinary is the path just lit up. So being the customer experience guy that I am in the middle of the night, I got down on hands and knees because I had to see this thing. I'm like, what is this? And I took a picture of it. It was like a 50 cent stick on light from Home Depot. It was nothing. It was not an expensive thing at all, but a complete game changer in terms of the experience. So it's a great example of going from ordinary to extraordinary without spending tons of money. And I guarantee you in almost every business, there's plenty of opportunities for you to do that. I think what's interesting about extraordinary uh, extraordinary, and what you just said, the example, because things are changing so fast, if you're not constantly looking to plus those things up, in your head, you're going to think, well, that's too expensive. The reality is costs of, every, of, of innovation continue to get lower every single day. And the example I'll use is, you know, as a, as a former Disney guy, I think about RFID technology. When Disney first rolled out the Magic Band, I mean, we invested over a billion dollars in that infrastructure and that technology to be developed. That's a commonplace thing now. And that's we're less than 10 years later, right? The the costs have been lowered tremendously on on that technology. And it's the same thing with the example that you just used. It's getting easier and easier to provide extraordinary experiences. You just have to be curious and want to do that. Yeah. And let me give you a super easy example that I think actually all three of us uh, here are are that lots of people uh, are going to relate to. When we sign up for uh, a website, for example, let's say we sign up for our credit card website. Well, a credit card is going to ask for your legal name. Your legal name is David. My legal name is Dan is Daniel right? I like to be called Dan. I don't know whether you like to be called Dave or Davey or David, whatever. But why doesn't anybody ask us that? Because when I log on to my credit card website, it says, good morning, Daniel. Now, I'll tell you, the only person that calls me Daniel is my mother and only when she's mad at me. So I don't want my credit card company calling me Daniel. Is it that hard for them to say, hey, what do you like to be called? You know, some people go by a first initial and a last and a middle name. Okay. But then when you log in, it says, you know, um, you know, hello, D Mark. Okay. But that's not, that's not how I, I mean, I'm going by my middle name, right? I want you to call me Mark, whatever it is. And so just asking people, how do you, what do you want us to call you is such a nice little personalized thing. And then forevermore in whatever channel you make sure you call them by the name they want to be called. Um, it's remo- it's unbelievable how few companies do this. And, uh, and another example I love to, to give is think about all the number of times that you have had to share your birthday with someone. You've either filled it out on a form or you've shown someone your ID, which has your birthday on it, et cetera. Now think about how many companies wish you a happy birthday. Very few, maybe none. 
right? And yet so many of them have your birth date. Well, why are they taking, why are they collecting that data if they're not using it for anything? And it isn't hard to wish someone a happy birthday. In fact, it's very unexpected because nobody does it. If everybody did it, it would be an ordinary experience. But since nobody does it or very few, it stands out. Oh, I love it. If you're, if you're a sports team, I mean, you have this in-depth CRM database, right? Record a video of your head football coach or your head basketball coach just saying happy birthday, make a custom GIF, whatever, and just send that out in an email and boom, you're good. Like that, you just won so much equity in the fan's heart yep. there. Um, that's a great example, Dan. Well, you've got tons more examples like this in your book where that, that's coming out here in a few days. Um, where can people buy the book and, and get it to hear more of these stories and examples to expand on the wise framework? Uh, visit your favorite uh, live bookstore or online bookstore. Uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Target, Walmart, wherever you get your books, uh, you can pick it up. And uh, one other thing is, I'm a, as I mentioned, I'm a huge fan of feedback. And so if you read the book, I want to hear what you think about it. Tell me. Uh, tell me what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. That'll help me write my next book, right? So I like to practice what I preach. And plus, I always like to uh, engage with people and answer CX questions because it's my passion. I love it. Where, uh, speaking of answering CX questions, where can people reach out to you, follow along your journey? Sure. DanGingis.com is probably the, the easiest and best place. That's Dan, G-I-N-G-I-S-S.com. But I'm also very active on Twitter at DGingis, LinkedIn, a uh, little bit on Instagram. I'll answer you, but it might take me a couple of days on Instagram because, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and all. <laughs> so uh, those are the best places to connect. Perfect. All right. So close us out here. I'm going to ask the, the Tim Ferriss billboard question, right? You've got a billboard up that you can put and, and anybody that's working on a CX transformation or trying to get better at just connecting with their customers, what are you putting on that billboard? Uh, this is an easy one, actually, and it's a sports reference. You're going to love it. Uh, it Let's is a go. quote from Joe Madden, World Series champion, former manager of the Chicago Cubs, and it is do simple better. And when he says it, he's talking about baseball, obviously. He's talking about always running out the, the hit to first base and making the simple plays in the, in the field because then that allows you to make a mistake on a harder play. But do simple better is such a great mantra for business as well because everything we do in business is too complicated. And if the more we simplify it, the better experience we're making for our customers. That whole ticket price discussion, it's not just about the money going up. It's about me trying to figure out the difference between a convenience fee and a transaction fee. I don't even know what that means. That's, that's complexity that doesn't have to be there. So do simple better. Beautiful way to end it. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate having you. Thank you guys. Really, it was a lot of fun. Everybody listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. 
It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic. And with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk. And it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked-In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked-In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally And you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N dot app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.